This is Passing for Normal, conversations with authors, artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm Sharon Weil, author of Donnie and Ursula Save the World, the funniest book about love, sex, and GMO seeds you'll ever read. But mostly, it's about everyday courage and what it takes to get there in your own personal, even unconventional way. So join us for fun and insightful discussion with some very inspirational people about how to turn purpose and passion into action, while at the same time, passing for normal. I'm talking again with breath and movement educator Robert Littman. Hello, Robert. Hi, Sharon. So glad to have you back. You know, a few weeks ago we were talking... Oh, it's so glad to have you back. A few weeks ago, we were talking on this show about the fundamental role breath plays, not only in all of life, of course, but also in facilitating change at the most basic level. It was an amazingly illuminating discussion for me, and in our discussion, we touched upon the subject of anxiety, and I wanted to expand upon that. We all have anxiety at some point, and it's my observation and your observation that anxiety, real or imagined, often accompanies changes large and small. Robert, I love how you view anxiety as a breathing issue rather than a strictly emotional one that's so different from anything I'm used to hearing and how effectively you work with people to resolve anxiety and its effects on the body. So I'm hoping that we can go more in depth into that conversation today. Good. I'm ready to do that. Great. So before we start, I want to remind our listeners that you, Robert Littman, are the creator of The Breathable Body, and for the past 25 years, you've guided clients and students in the use of movement, breath, and sound as a tool for personal growth, restoring healthy breathing rhythms, structural alignment, and efficient body mechanics, and that you teach this work worldwide. That you founded The Breathable Body in 2003, and that you're on the faculty of of Continuum Movement, which is a brilliant somatic practice and that you've made many contributions to that work of continuum in the areas of science, neuroanatomy, and cellular biology. And that, perhaps as specific to our conversation today, that you're an organizing member and trainer of the Buteco breathing technique, which helps retrain the breath and breathing of people with asthma, anxiety, allergies, panic attacks, sleep apnea, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so... Let's talk about anxiety. What is anxiety and what's its relationship to breath? Generally, people feel anxious when um, things are moving too fast. There's too much change in one's life and the idea that they cannot um, keep up with the change. So in a way to stop and maybe stabilize change a little bit and slow it down, one will begin to hold their breath, to breathe more shallowly, to have everything move a little more slowly. So breathing tends to become more chest breathing and a little less a little less air coming in and out on each breath, which is called hypoventilation as, a, as um, juxtaposed to hyperventilation. So when that happens, there's a buildup of the um, carbon dioxide in the body and the, uh, one of the, one of the major gases that it gets exchanged during the respiratory process. And that, buildup of carbon dioxide begins to make one feel anxious because carbon dioxide has a little bit of a suffocating feeling when it's in in too much abundance. 
And so the body begins to get a little bit anxious about what's going on here. We can't breathe. We're getting a little suffocated. And then the person begins to breathe more deeply uh, or more quickly rather than more deeply and starts to open their mouth to hyperventilate. So they go into this hyperventilation, which now puts them into overwhelm because now blood gases are moving in another direction. So there's this imbalance in blood gases that exacerbates this thing of overwhelm and anxiety and just keeps moving through the system. And until breathing gets regulated again, that state of anxiety can maintain itself for quite a long period of time, which is, um, for a biological organism is not a healthy thing for it to be doing. Well, you know, um, I think that most people take their breathing for granted, that it's a given, that we breathe unless we're dead, we're breathing. And so we don't necessarily pay close attention to it, and we certainly don't see it as a primary nutrient for our system like water and food. That is correct. And most people don't pay attention to their breathing until something seems like it's um, wrong with it, like there's a dysfunction in it, or they feel breathless, or they can't catch their breath would be the normal thing. And in relationship to the anxiety and that first question you asked, the other part of that, Sharon, is that when people get into an anxious state, they begin to think about their problems over and over again as if they are looping. So the thought comes to them, if I can solve this problem, then I would be able to get out of my anxiety. And the truth is, it is not that problem that they're thinking about that's going to be the solution. It's changing their breathing pattern that will stop them from having these exacerbating thoughts is the word for it. And so learning how to realize that you're in a state of anxiety and recognize that there's an oxygen deprivation and seeing that if I can supply that nutrient to my body more efficiently right now and let it flow in and let my body breathe, uh, my whole body breathe more gently, more slowly, and more fully, that more oxygen will start to get delivered to my brain and those exacerbating thoughts will start to uh, disappear just because there's more oxygen to the system. If there's a sense of starvation that the system's in, and that's really the underlying sense of anxiety. It's not the emotional problem. It's like, oh, my God, there's no oxygen here. And we do know that from people who hyperventilate, who maybe like, you know, people generally speak to the fact that the scariest thing they can do is either sing in public or speak in public. And we've mm-hmm. seen people hyperventilate when they get ready to sing or speak in public. And if they continue to do it, they will pass out. They will faint. And that's because that wow. hyperventilation is causing a lack of oxygen to the brain, and the brain's like, okay, we're going to faint now so we can stop this breathing pattern because if we go on too much longer, we'll, you, know, you can't really kill yourself from overbreathing, but it's a very dangerous situation. And we know this is um, uh, true. We've seen it happen over and over again. And in that particular case, carbon dioxide levels are getting too low. And carbon dioxide, well, and one situation can be a poison. In the other situation, it regulates the distribution of oxygen. So when the one is hyperventilating and giving off too much carbon dioxide, the oxygen distribution slows down. So we've seen that when people breathe into a paper bag, they can stop their fainting, and what they're doing there is breathing back their own carbon dioxide. So when paying attention to breath as a nutrient, as the most primary nutrient that we take in, even before water and even before food, learning how to feed yourself properly by knowing how to use your breath properly is probably one of the most important things we should be learning at an early age. 
Right, and it's not uh, it's not taught; it's just assumed. So I want to get back to when you were saying that people uh, have fear of singing in public or speaking in public. You know, when you see these lists of like the the top anxieties, the public speaking is always number one. So right. is is it a fear of public speaking that? creates a breathing pattern that that creates anxiety or is there something because they're both of them are about using your voice and using your air so is it something about that activity that that triggers that breathing pattern of anxiety well i think both are true one is because you haven't begun speaking yet and you're fearful when you are fearful you go into fight or flight and the fight-or-flight breathing pattern is very fast as it's meant to be if you're in an engagement like with a bear who just happened to cross your trail while you're hiking, you're either going to be fighting or flighting, and that is going to use a lot of breath. So when you have this fear, and whatever that may be from public speaking, that you're not going to be live, that you're going to make mistakes, your breathing pattern does speed up. And when it keeps speeding up like that, it does cause the body to go into an anxiety response. Wow. So let's talk about fight or flight. You you talked about it when we had our last conversation, but I think it's really essential to this whole subject that we're talking about. It's a very early development, you know, human developmental um, function. What yes, is it? The, the fight or flight evolutionarily is a mammalian response 250 million years ago to to create a activated response in the nervous system to be able to run from any particular threat or fight from any particular threat. 500 million years ago, the, the only way that we um, species dealt with that was to freeze, and we still see that. We see deer and you know get startled and they freeze, and then they shake off that uh, momentary um, fear. But then they came in the fight or flight, and so fight or flight is activated by using your mouth for breathing. So anytime you open your mouth and take an inhale, the nervous system thinks that there's something wrong in the environment, and it triggers that fight-or-flight response. So in public speaking, wow. going back to that, if you, when you take a breath in through your mouth, when you run out of air and speaking, you're continuing to exacerbate that, that uh, anxiety. The proper way of public speaking, and we see that sometimes, we see it in the way the president speaks, we see it the way the Queen of England speaks, is that when you run out of air in your speaking, because it's audible breath, that you close your mouth for a moment and take the next inhale by using your nose for breathing. And so there's a little bit of pause in the speaking like I'm demonstrating now. I'm running out of air. I breathe in through my nose, and then I'm ready to speak again. This way I keep the system in a more relaxed state. If I open my mouth to breathe, I'm going to start to, um, my heart's going to start to speed up, my breathing's going to start to move into my chest, and I'm going to start to be a little bit more nervous and more anxious. So are you saying that any time I'm breathing through my mouth, I'm triggering this fight-or-flight um, reaction that is meant to protect me in a, in, a, in a short and intense situation? Yes, pretty much that's the way it is. It is that way for, I would say, most people in my 12 years of teaching to take over my 25 years of breathing, when I do this little exercise of saying, just sit quietly in an upright position where you breathe through your nose for a minute and breathe out through your nose and just notice, you know, the effort in your breathing and how your nervous system feels. Do you feel relaxed? Do you feel anxious? 
and then take a couple of breaths through your mouth and watch what happens. Do you start to feel a little bit agitated or a little bit anxious or a little nervous? And do you notice that your breathing starts to move towards your chest? And so it's just one breath will do that. I can do that with clients and they just know it after one breath. My God, my nervous system is starting to get activated. So, yes, that's the mechanism. And so so many of us are breathing through our mouth all the time. Yeah, well, that's why the, the, uh, the, one of the largest selling pharmaceuticals in this country is anti-anxiety medications. And I think it's, I read a statistic, and I can't remember exactly, but it's 20 to 30% of the American population suffers from anxiety disorder. That's, a, that's, that's an amazing statistic. That is an amazing statistic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we saw it, we see it now, the speed of technology and the speed of what we're asking to be, uh, to do and how to perform. I mean, I know that people who work, um, like my daughter used to work for a, a um, pharmaceutical company and, you know, she was a nurse and when she had her nurse, she had a 40-hour work week. But when she went to work for the pharmaceutical company for a while, she quit. She was on 24-7. You got a cell phone and you got a computer you're expected to be able to answer that anytime it rings. So there's no downtime. So, yeah, we may get busy during the day, but for some people there's just never any downtime. How do you manage a life with no downtime? And we see it with children. You know, once once the um, fear of being kidnapped set into our culture, children are kept busy 24-7. When I grew up, I'm 70 years old. I grew up in New York City. My parents, they go go to the park, and I would go to the park first thing in the morning, and I'd come home at night, they wouldn't know where I was. And I was only 12 and 13 years old, and maybe even younger at that point. And children today, you know, one activity to another, and there's no downtime. There's no time to really let the mind and the imagination wander. And so even children today are suffering from anxiety, too much performance anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so... What I'm asking is, is that is that set up by the breathing pattern or is this nonstop go, go, go creating, what is creating, in, in the case of what you're talking about, what is creating that? I hear the question and I think you really can't separate one from the other. If you have a mm-hmm. neurotic breathing pattern and you're a mouth breather or you've had some illness along the way and your diaphragm got stuck and... Uh, other things may have happened to you and you're modeling your breathing after some idea that doesn't really work. It's the breathing connection. On the other hand, if you've got a, you've got a work situation or a life situation that's causing a lot of stress, then the stress will cause you to breathe improperly and so it will exacerbate that stress. Mm-hmm. We can go back to the question more directly and I think this is what you're getting at, Sharon, that if you are not breathing in a way that is, you know, provides a lot of rest in the system, that does mean that oxygen does not is not efficiently delivered to the cells to make the energy we need to run. So in speaking of that way, if there's not if there's a if there's a lack of the oxygen in its delivery to the cells, then the cells do consider themselves in a state of starvation. Mm, so well. so if the body is considering itself starved for the nutrient that provides the energy the chemical to make the energy to run the body, it's under a great deal of internal stress. So any external stresses that come in 
are very hard for the body to manage, for the organism to manage. Hey, I can't take much more. I'm starving internally. How do you expect me to deal with these external stresses? Mm -hmm. So in that particular case, yes, the breathing pattern does set up this inability to cope with life on an everyday basis. Yeah. So the conversation people will basically say, the way you know this is basically true is when people report, I just feel overwhelmed all the time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so then you have to look at, okay, let's see if we can feed the body properly and see if that situation still exists. Or do you have more facility to make more choice in your life so that everything is not glommed onto one picture of, oh, my God, I've got so much to do. If I'm resourced with an internal nutrient and feel fully um, fed, both at the level of water and food and oxygen, then I can look at my life and say, well, yeah, I can do a little of this one. No, this one's not important right now. I don't have to go to the store and pick up a loaf of bread. I can do that tomorrow. More importantly, I talked to my sister today. So I can start to make choices and tease apart what will keep me in a stream that says I can manage my life today in this way and tomorrow I'll do these things. But when we feel totally overwhelmed, it all looks like too much and we can't make decent choices. And that usually comes from the body being starved for oxygen. In my work in the Bateco world, when we test that process, the average population is oxygen starved. There's just no question wow. about it. Yeah. Wow. So and how do I... I know, let me just say this. One of the ways that we know we're oxygen starved is through allergies, asthma, sleep apnea, insomnia, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and anxiety and panic. And those things are repeated in our life. Our breathing pattern is off. Something is wrong there. And we do see more of that now than we've ever seen before. So those are the signals that tell us it's not a problem coming from the outside. It's internally we're not breathing well enough to be able to sleep, to be able to cope with the allergies that are out there, the pollens that are out there, to be able to cope with the things that come into our lives that we have to make choices about. So, oh, my goodness, how do I learn how to breathe properly in a way that's well, going to feed my system? Well, one of the best processes out there right now is the Bateco Breathing Method, and uh, there's a website with the BatecoEducators.org. Org, sorry. Can you say and that again? BatecoEducators.org, and they list all the practitioners in the country. It's a very effective method that came from Dr. Pacheco in Russia that isn't really teaching people an esoteric breathing practice, but basically how to learn how to use your breath so that you are fully fed by your breathing and so that your respiratory gases are balanced and you get full oxygen delivery. And it's a very effective method. It's taught over an eight-hour period, over a five-day period, which can happen in a week or in a month. And in the meantime, what people can basically do for themselves is begin to notice when they use their mouth for breathing and see if you can start to break those habits. A lot of that is habit, like taking a shower, feeding, drinking, speaking. Just notice when you use your mouth for breathing and say, can I in this moment use my nose for breathing instead of my mouth and begin to notice how you feel in your body. Would you... um, Yes, I was going to say, would you be willing to take us through a little exercise? A little, you know, would you take us through something where we could actually take a moment <laughs> instead and of take a moment and slow doing, down? Yeah, like a few moments to slow down and just and just uh, track our breath? Sure. 
one of the things that gets in the way of breathing is uh, furniture, uh, especially chairs. Uh, most of the time when you sit in a chair or a recliner, you can kind of feel that you're kind of slumped over, your chest is sort of slumped into your body, into your pelvis or into your stomach. Well, that limits the potential for breathing. So the best way to do this right now is for everybody who is out there is to find sort of a hard chair, not a, not a soft, cushiony chair, but like a dining room table chair or an office chair, and come to the edge of that chair so your thighs are not supporting you, but your sit bones are uh, resting on the chair, and that your feet are spread apart flat in front of you, a little more than shoulder width apart, and your hands are at your side. So right away, one of the things you want to take note of is that without much effort, you're sitting up straight. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to sit up straight. Your body is now, the spine is now aligned. Yes, great. You agree. So yeah. So noticing right off the bat that perhaps the effort in breathing is a little easier. So the next thing to do is put one hand on your chest and one hand right above your belly button and just notice which hand is moving first. Is it the top hand or the bottom hand? Just make note of that. And then just the next step would be, okay, the chair is holding me. Just see if there's any possible way that any of your upper body weight can soften so that it feels like the chair is offering a little bit more support. You get a little heavier on it. Your eyes are relaxed, maybe your jaw is softened. And the same thing with your feet, just noticing the floor. The floor is under your feet. It's coming up to meet your feet. Is there any place in my legs, in my upper leg, lower leg, ankles, feet, that I can just soften them a little bit so I feel the floor is offering more support? So once I do those two things, I ask myself, has my breath slowed down a little bit? And the answer for me is yes. And so if I put my hand back on my chest and my belly, for those of you who may have felt the chest moving first, does this now switch it so that the belly feels like it's the first movement when you breathe it? And so for the next few minutes, the simplest thing to do is not worry about whether or not you're doing this correctly. But every time you breathe in, your body moves. Something stretches, something expands, maybe across your back, maybe across your chest, maybe you feel some air inside of your head. And then when you breathe out, you notice that an opposite movement takes place. There's a little bit of softening. And as you soften, your body gets a little heavier because it has less air in it on the exhale. So you may feel a little more you may feel a little more of that connection to the earth. So just noticing that connection, then the next breath in, you breathe with a little bit of awareness of the sensations of connection. And you may notice that this breath may not be as large. Just the, the, the size and the volume of breathing is directly proportionate to how well you can soften. Mm. When you soften, 
body needs less oxygen, so it doesn't breathe as largely. Mm. When you're tense, when you're tense, your muscles are tight. What makes muscles tight is energy that gets produced from the nutrient of oxygen. So less tension means less energy needed, less oxygen breathed. Breathing gets a little smaller and a little easier. Mm-hmm. And to those who feel like they don't get enough air through their nose, they're used to mouth breathing. But when the body softens, they recognize, well, I don't actually need that much. So the amount that I get is enough. So by, by your sounds, Sharon, it sounds like you're relaxing and breathing less. Yes, I'm I'm responding to you as you're as you're going through this. I'm doing this exercise with you and I'm feeling softer, more drop down, my breath is easier, fuller. Yeah, see the the conversation, you know, there's some some words here over the years that have not really helped people understand breathing and one is that when I breathe in I expand and when I breathe out I contract. Well contract doesn't sound appealing. But when I breathe in, I do get larger, and my body swells from having air. It becomes more buoyant. When I breathe out, that some of that buoyancy leaves, and I get a little heavier, but I'm more connected to the earth. So we could speak of it as that when I'm in my exhale, I'm moving back into my connection to earth. And when I inhale, I'm moving into my connection to space. I'm more buoyant. Which is, the, which is the template of the planet. We do have the earth and we do have the air. And so that's sort of recreated in our own body on every breath. My feeling of being connected to earth and my feeling of connected to space. Inhale space, earth a little bit more. I mean exhale a little bit more earth. And the other part, instead of the expansion and contraction, is yes, I am expanding. I am getting more buoyant. And when I exhale, I'm actually dissolving some of my tension and some of my form. So rather than thinking of it as contraction, I'm just letting go of that expansion and I'm dissolving that expansion for a moment. And the expansion will come back in the next breath. And the most important part, if we can do it, is that especially in anxiety, there's a lot of grasping for the next breath. And so at the end of this exhale and the dissolve, can you tolerate just a small moment of time, maybe a second, maybe two or three seconds, where there's really no activity, where breath is quiet and the body is in a state of rest until you receive the impulse that the next breath is rising, rather than you grasping, which is you doing the work, letting your body send a signal that says it's going to breathe now. This takes some mm-hmm. practice. But doing this over a day's period and trying to interrupt your day you know, every hour to take a breathing break, whether it's for two or three minutes or five minutes, and building up over time so that you maybe do that 12 times a day in a 12-hour day. So every every hour, if you take five minutes for a breathing break, you'll remind yourself, oh, yeah, relaxing in my breathing, and that, I like it. And then you begin to draw a contrast and differentiate the experience between, oh, these other times, I'm really anxious or I'm really breathing really fast, or I'm really tense, and I'm reminding myself that this is the state that really keeps me healthy and relaxed. Human beings are not meant to spend 90% of their day in fight or flight. They're meant to spend most of their day operating from a rest and settled place. And Mm -hmm. if fear comes along, then or something threatens my life, then I go into fight. 
So you mentioned this word imagined fear before, and that's what's happened. The body doesn't know the difference between imagining fear and a real fear for an Right. So I spoke to you about this before. You know, it's interesting to look into culture and what big topics are in culture. And right now, who's popular is that cartel and other leaders who are speaking about presence. And right. I think what, what we're looking towards is learning how to attend to sensations, and especially our breathing, as a way of being present. Because we may imagine a fear, but if we turn our attention to our breathing, that imagined fear goes away because we're not paying attention to two things at once. And so the nervous system in its neuroplasticity is learning how to wire itself for presence. Because the fight or flight from 250 million years ago, well, there was no technology that we had to worry about. We didn't hear the news from around the world. Right. Even 100 million years ago. Now we know everything, every, every moment of every day. So there's a lot more to pay attention to. What do we choose to pay attention whether, to? Whether, whether it's taking place in, our, in front of us or not. I mean, the, right. we're, we are, have so much information about things that are not really taking place in our immediate environment right. but create a lot of uh, stress. That's exactly right. So, and there's a lot to be sad about, a lot to be concerned about for sure. But in moments, if I turn my attention to my breathing and just feel my body moving, that is what's happening right now. That is all that's happening right now. And so that tells my nervous system, yeah, those things are there and I imagine them. But it's not my reality. I don't have to attend to them all the time. I can be concerned about them. I may be, have even be an activist about them. But really, for my biological organism right now, there is no threat. So you were talking about the inhale and the exhale and the dissolve of breath into the earth and into the air and... Um, and this cultivation of presence coming from attending the breath. And I was aware that our listeners, many of them, are very um, much in love with nature and spend time mm-hmm. in nature. And isn't this a way to um, feel oneself more in rapport with nature, with others, with themselves through this presence of breath. Yes, I would totally agree that, you know, every sentient being on the planet breathes. We are connected as a community through this one atmosphere, and that includes all the trees and all the plants. They are also in this, in this dynamic of exchange with us. So, you know, um, so everything is, everything is breathing. Everything is either is rooted and everything is in the space of the earth. So, yes, it's very, it, it's, it's another way of saying it. Sharon would be, when I pay attention to my own breathing, I'm paying attention to my own biological nature. So I'm in seeing myself, seeing the nature of me, which immediately brings me into the nature of what I That's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. You know, one well, of the other things, let me, can we just say one last thing, Sharon? Yes. In that yes, regard, breath, breath is very sacred. It's a sacred act. It's yeah, a manifestation. Right. If we look at any religious cosmology, I just want to say this, life always begins with the breath of God breathing into an inanimate uh, subject and begins. So our breath is the beginning of our life on every breath. Every new breath is yeah. the new beginning of our life. Mm. So beautifully put. Well, once again, we've run out of time because you're just brilliant. 
I just I just um love talking to you and love hearing the way you um have put it all together. This this these aspects of being alive and our our breath and our movement and um uh I could and do and will talk to you uh endlessly about this. So I thank you so much for um sharing what you have had uh today and uh just briefly uh if you can tell people how to find you, how to get in touch with you, how to learn more about their own breath and breathing. Yes, thebreathablebody.com, easiest way to reach me. Thebreathablebody.com. Right, and I have the video on there right now, a half hour, 35-minute video, uh, basically talking about anxiety and giving some exercises to help alleviate anxiety. So check at the bottom of the webpage, and you'll find my video there as well. That's fantastic. And can you spell Buteyko? B-U-T-E-Y-K-O. Because you were also directing people to the Buteyko website, right? Right, and that will be, there's a link going up on my website for that site. But I also they can work find on Buteyko Skype. through you, yes. Yes, and I also work on Skype, so no matter where you are in the country, I am available to work with you through our modern technology. It's all one breath. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Robert, thank thank you you so much. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about seeding change in the world. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to passingfornormal.com. That's passing, numeral four, normal.com. Donnie and Ursula Save the World is available in paperback, Kindle, and soon to be an audiobook at donnieandursula.com. So go out and do something brave today. M. Earth and I thank you.